Amen. Praise the Lord. Are you being blessed? Hallelujah. God is faithful. God has spoken. Let the church say amen. Amen. Shall we bow our heads again? Father, we thank you because you love us so intensely and you keep speaking to us. When you want to promote us, you give us information and the information comes through your word. As we continue to listen, Father, we trust you for the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and understanding. And certainly, like we know you have always done, our lives will never be the same again. We give you the praise, faithful Father, and we thank you for answered prayers. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, again, we welcome you to our Women's Day 2023. Our topic for today is perfected forever. Perfected forever. Let's all say it. Perfected forever. Our text is taken from Hebrews 10, 14. Hebrews 10, 14. Let's all read it together. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The key word, one offering, perfected forever, being sanctified. The moment you receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you are justified by faith. In other words, you believe you are righteous because you may not feel like it. So you are justified by faith and you are made perfectly righteous. Everybody say perfectly righteous. You were made perfectly righteous. That is, if you genuinely, from your heart of heart, put your faith in the Lord Jesus and trust him as your Lord and your Savior. That's why the Bible said, if any man be in Christ, say, therefore, if any man be in Christ, say, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. All things have become new. You're a brand new person. You know, Ephesians put it this way in Ephesians 4.24. It say that you were created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. In true righteousness and holiness. Because there's one that is not true righteousness. That is the righteousness that is acted out. You know, there is one that is not true holiness. The one we used to practice at that time, wear long gown, cover your hair, you don't wear earring, and you think that's what makes you holy. Nope. This one is the one that is created according to God. Amen? So the true righteousness is, is, the, is talking about the heart. It's the heart righteousness. And it can only come from God through faith in Jesus Christ. The moment you hear about the good news, the gospel of your salvation, everything that Jesus did, and you believe it is so, and you choose to put your trust in him. The Bible said in Ephesians 1.13, it says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And it is the presence of the Holy Spirit of promise that is the guarantee that you are a child of God. It's, the Bible said in verse 14 of it, it said, 
He is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. What is a purchased possession? It's talking about our you know, heavenly suit has already been purchased, but then it hasn't been redeemed. We are still wearing this earth suit that drags us into certain things that you don't want to be involved in. But the Holy Spirit in you, the Spirit of Christ in you, is who, the one that guarantees that you're a child of God. Uh, Christ's one sacrifice is for all time, for your past, for your present and future sin. It's for all time. Hebrews 10, uh, I will start reading from verse 10. He says, uh, for God's will, God's will, not your will. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, of Jesus Christ, once for all time. That sacrifice was once for all time. It happened 2,000 years ago. As many as who yet believe in him in the future, it is also for them. And those of us who believe, I don't think any of us is 2,000 years old here. So which means he did this even before we were born. Under the old covenant, verse 11, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. Which means when anybody sinned, they will drag their, their offering to the, high, to the priest. The priest will, you know, get them to put their head, or examine the, the sacrifice, if it's spotless, if it's blameless, if it's, uh, if it's good. And then we met the, the offerer to put hand, and then it's assumed that the, the, the righteousness of the pure, of the sinless lamb was transferred to the offerer, and then the righteousness of the, the sins of the offerer transferred to the animal. And then the priest will now give them a, a knife, and then they will cut that animal. And you know, you know, they did that and they believed that, well, I'm now righteous from that sin that I committed, and they live. And then once in a year, the high priest will now go into the, the Holy of Holies and then uh, will now offer sins for all the, the sins did in ignorance, and which, of course, we know there are things you, even us today that are born again, you also do in ignorance, you know. So that's for that, you know, and sprinkles, uh, you know, blood on the mercy seat, you know, and uh, because God meets them at the mercy seat, which means it's just the mercies of God, because the real deal hasn't yet happened, because Jesus is the real deal. You know, that was a shadow then, but Jesus is the substance, amen? So verse 12 says, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. That is those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Because, I mean, the moment you receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, the Bible said you hold his thoughts and purposes. You have the mind of God. 
You know everything that God knows, but in your spirit. That's a 1 Corinthians 2, 16. Verse 17 says, then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. If you like, you fast till Monday. If you like, you know, you know, don't take good care of yourself because you want to do penance like some people do, still do today. Those things will never take away your sins. See, the Bible said that Jesus once sacrificed, did it all, once for all time. So you just have to believe it. So remember in uh, John you know, 12, 31, where Jesus was saying, they say, he said, now is the ju judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out because it was a devil that deceived man. A man bought the nature of the devil. So he said in verse 32 of that John 12, he said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, he said, will draw all unto me. It's men that put the men, because they assume that he's saying that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. If that was so, then why is it that all men are not yet drawn unto him? There are people that, kick, that are kicking against him. He's talking about judgment. And verse 33 made it clear. He said, this he says, signifying what death he should die. He came to die for the sins of the whole world. He is the sacrificial lamb. This is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the whole world. He came to pay the full penalty for all our sins, past, present, and future. And that's why in one of our songs we say, the wrath of God was satisfied because he took it all. Amen? So before we continue, let's talk about this clause that says those who are being sanctified. You know, in New King James Version, it says those who are being sanctified. And then in NLT, it says those who are being made holy. And yet it says we are made perfect. Those who are being sanctified, as we read in, that, uh, in Hebrew 10, 14. Sanctification is an ongoing process. You know, where I got born again, I remember what we are told, you know, just as you prayed and you got born again, you have to pray so that you become sanctified. And they believe that sanctification is instantaneous. Well, in a way, partially they are right, but partially they are wrong. It's talking about your spirit that is born again. Justification by faith happened instantaneously. The moment you say yes to Jesus, that very moment, the blood of Jesus, God's son, washed away all your sins and God stamped his image. You came in union with Jesus Christ. You have one spirit with him. So automatically, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of holiness. You acquire that holiness. That's why Jesus is your righteousness, is your holiness, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. So we were all sanctified in Christ the moment we gave our lives to Christ. That is for those who have genuinely made Jesus the Lord over their lives. He said, he said, in, he said uh, when he came into the world, that's a, you know, in the book of Hebrew, uh, uh, we're not reading that. He said that he came to do, I came to do thy will, O God. And he did that will, and that will was to pay the full penalty for our sins. So, by that will, in Hebrews 10.10, 10, 
by that will, talking about what Jesus came to do, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That will of God that he came to do, by that will, by performing that will of God, we are sanctified through the offering of his body once for all. Now, it is important we know that the revelation and outworking of our sanctification in Christ is progressive. Like I said earlier on, it's a process. So that means that the more you grow in your revelation with the Lord Jesus, the more holy you will become in your character and in your contour. It's just natural. The more you grow, that's why he said, come, let me change the way you think. The more you learn about God's amazing grace, the more you desperately want to glorify him with your life. The more you get to understand what he did for you by grace. You will just simply fall in love with him. And all you want to do is just to live for him, nothing else. This is why, uh, you know, discipleship is very key. And thank God for this church, like uh, my beloved brother was sharing with us in the morning. We have different avenues to help you when you get born again, to grow, to be discipled, to be who God wants you to be. And this is part of why we must take Bible study seriously and also study on our own. The Bible says study to show yourself approved unto God, according to 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. If the onus is on you to study, nobody will do it for you. If you like, you play along with that, but then at the end, you find out that you have robbed yourself of so many things. It is your spirit that was made perfect. It is your spirit that was made perfect. Not your soul, not your mind, will, and emotion. As a believer, you cannot become more righteous in your spirit than you are today if you have made Jesus the Lord over your life. You can only become more sanctified in your acts, in your character. They say, oh, wow, this person is now more like Jesus. And the more you grow in the revelation of this gospel of grace, the more your character begins to conform more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. But already in your spirit, you're perfectly righteous. Hebrews 12:23 says, uh, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. It is referring to the spirit of the born again, the spirit of the just men made perfect. Our spirits have been made perfect, exactly like Jesus Christ. And that's why 1 John 4, 17 says, as he is, not even as he was when he walked here on earth. If it were that, that, was, that would be wonderful. But he said, as he is, today seated at the right hand of God the Father. He says, so are we. In this world. And that being the case, we don't have to be afraid of judgment because he said love has been perfected. That's First John 4, 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. When we stand before him, we may have boldness because he is now our life. And as he is, so are we in this life. So as Jesus is today, we the born again children of God are just as he is. That's what the Bible said. You have to believe all these things by faith. And he said that 
in verse 18, he says, he that feareth is not made perfect in love, does not understand really what God did for us in Christ Jesus. He say, fear hath torment. If you are fearing, it's simply because you don't understand what Jesus did. You don't understand the love of God for you. The, you know, we know that in God's eyes, we are forever perfect, spotless, and washed whiter than snow by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's a done deal already. Colossians 1, 21 20 to 23 says, and you, who once we are alienated, which means you are no longer like that. Once you were in that camp, but you have now been transferred into the kingdom of the son of his love. So once you were alienated and enemies of God were in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled you. He's not going to, if you are born again, he has already reconciled you with himself in the body of his flesh through death to present you how? Holy, blameless, and above reproach. Where? In his sight, not in your sight, not in the sight of your neighbor, in his sight. Because he's looking at your spirit that is exactly as that of uh, Jesus Christ. And then verse 23 says, let's read verse 23 together. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to you, every creature on the heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So the key thing there is that you must continue in the faith, 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 in the faith. Believing what the word said. Then you have to be grounded and steadfast in that. And don't allow anything to move you away from there. So we are forgiven forever because our high priest is unchangeable and he lives forever. Amen? Let's read Hebrews 7, 24 to 25. Let's read it together. But he holds his priesthood unchangeably because he lives on forever. Therefore, he is able also to save to the uttermost completely, perfectly, finally, and for all time and eternity, those who come to God through him since he is always living to make petition to God and intercede with them and intervene for them. Amen. He is unchangeable Jesus. And he lives forever. What he did is forever. That's why what we have is eternal redemption. Eternal inheritance. Eternal life. What is eternal? Such what it means for yourself. God does not just forgive. He chooses not to remember our mistakes. He chooses not to keep records of our wrongdoings. Isaiah 54, 10 says, For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, 
nor will my covenant of peace, covenant of peace, be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. You have been adopted into God's family. You have been accepted in the beloved son. The, much, the way God loved Jesus is exactly the way he loves you. Ephesians 1.5 says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. It's according to the good pleasure of his will. It's not by works of righteousness. It's by his grace alone. There's nothing more that I can do, but Jesus did it alone. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us, what? Accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, not according to your performance, according to the riches of his grace. So God loves us. His love for us is steadfast, unconditional, and everlasting. Nothing you do today will make God to love you more or less. You better understand that. God's love is really, really unconditional and everlasting. Why? Because Jesus finished work, has already paid for all your sins, for all your mistakes, for all your failures, and reconciled you to God. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness I have drawn you. And Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in the midst of you, a mighty one, a savior, who says, He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in silent satisfaction. Why silent satisfaction? Because of what Jesus did. And in his love, he will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. He will exult over you with singing. Hallelujah. Now we are the sons of God. 1 John 3, 1 to 3 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father had bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Let's read verse 2 together. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3. And every man that had this hope in him purified himself even as he is pure. Amen. So if you are born again, right now, even as you are seated here, know that you are a son of God. He said, beloved, now, right now, not tomorrow, ne not next tomorrow. Now are we the sons of God. Hit your hand on your chest and tell yourself, I am the son of God. You have to believe that by faith. Because sometimes your acts might not fully meet that standard. But in the eyes of God, you are the son of God. That's why he said we are the chosen generation. We are the royal priesthood, God's holy nation. He said, why? 
that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are no longer in the darkness. You are in the light. That we might proclaim the praises by living the good life that he called us out to live because we are his workmanship to model the life of Christ here. Christ is our righteousness, he's our sanctification, he's our holiness, he's our all in all. We're just singing it here today and saying, my, my, my head, my shoulder, my, my knee, my toes. Which means your life is no longer your own. But do we really know that? And do we really comply with that? He say, I give myself to you. Do you really know what it means to be born again, to make Jesus the Lord over your life, that you no longer have to choose or to do whatever you like. And Jesus modeled it to us and said, I can of my own self do nothing. Are you still that one that is genuinely born again, but you don't know that you are no longer your own? Remember God is spirit. The Bible said so in John 4, 24. God is spirit. And those who worship him do what? Must. It's not optional. Must worship him in spirit and in truth. Not in your flesh. Not in your mind, will, and emotion. In spirit and in truth. When God looks at you, he's seen the purity of Jesus. Yes, he's seen the holiness of Jesus. But you must also understand that. That you have to connect with him in spirit. Because that doesn't mean you should not go and live anyhow. You will only do that to your own detriment because the goodness of God leads us to repentance. You don't know you are saved by your feelings. Nor do you know you are saved because you go to church. You might as well say, if I sleep in a garage, I'm a car. No, if you're a car, you stay in a garage to protect yourself. If, you are, if you're a Christian, you come to church so that you learn who you are in Christ and your rights and privileges as a child of God. You know you are born again by the Holy Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. It is that inward witnessing that shows you that you are a child of God according to Romans 8 verse 16. If that witness is not there, I plead with you, get born again. If you have already been born again, you need to seek one of your spiritual leaders to help you, to guide you aright. Because if you're born again, it must show. I mean, even if you're born again today, you have to start growing because the young shall grow. Amen? Colossians uh, chapter 2 verse 10 says, And you are in him, met full, and having come to fullness of life in Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and reach full spiritual stature. So in the eyes of God, you have reached full spiritual stature because the spirit you have is, the, is in union with Christ. That's why I said you cannot be holier than what you are in your spirit. You know, you have already reached full spiritual you know, maturity in your spirit, but you have to believe that. Which means your work with God must have to, depend, to be dependent upon what, you know, you believing what the word of God said about you. So faith means here that you believe what the word said and not how you feel or maybe, 
your reasonings. It doesn't come by that. You believe God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit lives in you. believe you are born again because you have done what the Word of God said you should do to be born again. I know there are, you know, people, there's some people that worry, you know, uh, if you teach, you know, strictly on the love of God, that might make people to just be living in sin, living anyhow, you know. And... Uh, they encourage that it's important you emphasize on sanctification. Where I born again, they were emphasizing on that, but way too many people were living in sin. And each time the man of God will preach, you will see virtual, most people crying because they were not measuring up. But I was there one time, but thank God when I began to listen about the gospel of grace, that was how my, you know, I got an understanding and I saw that really, it is my spirit that is born again. My soul needs to be saved. The Holy Spirit via Paul said to us in Galatians 5.13, let's read it together. If you have it, ready, go. For you, my brothers, we are called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom become an opportunity for the sinful nature, worldliness, selfishness, but through love, serve and seek the best for one another. You know, in Christ, we have, there's liberty. But you don't have to take that liberty for, and say, oh, hooray, hooray. I cannot go and live anyhow. Paul said in a Philippians 3, he said, we are the circumcision that worship God in spirit and have no confidence in the flesh. You don't have to have confidence in your mind, will, and emotion because it will really mess you up. It will really mess you up. And that's why James said in James chapter 1, verse 21, he says, so get rid of all uncleanness and the rampant outgrowth of wickedness and in a humble, gentle, modest spirit, receive and welcome the word which implanted and rooted in your heart contains the power to save your soul. It is the word of God. As you begin to study, meditate on it. It is the word of God that has what it takes when it's implanted, when you allow it and it's implanted in you to save your soul. That's when your mind, your will, your emotion begins to line up with the mind of Christ that you already have. So by studying, meditating, and living out the word of God, you find out that uh, what is in your spirit will begin to rub off on your character, on your conduct. Uh, Philippians 2, 12, 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Remember, he called them beloved. That means they are believers. He said, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's our responsibility to work out what is inside our spirit, to rub on the outside. And it, it says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you. How does he work in you? Through his word. To will and to do for his good pleasure. Because the steps of the righteous are ordered by him. And that's why he said, but as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So when you now study the word of God, whatever he prompts you to do, Respond promptly in obedience. James put it this way. James 1.25 says, But 
He who looks carefully, let's read it together. But he who looks carefully into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and is faithful to it and perseveres in looking into it, being not a heedless listener who forgets, but an active doer who obeys, he shall be blessed in his doing, his life of obedience. Obedience to faith is very key in our work with God. If you are fellowshipping with the word of God and the word of God is not changing you, something is definitely wrong somewhere. You are not reading, you are not studying this word. Because he said, if you look carefully into the faultless, nothing wrong with the word of God, into the faultless law of liberty. It's supposed to liberate you, to bless you, to lift you on high, to, to cause you to, to excel. He said, and is faithful to it. And does what again? Perseveres in looking into it. He, the word of God will tell you what to do, will correct you, will encourage you, will strengthen you so that you'll be the man, the woman of God that you're designed to be. So the devil is no big deal at all when we hear the word of God and we submit to the word of God. Flourishing becomes your experiential portion. To the degree to which you are in constant communion with the word and the Holy Spirit is to the degree to which your conscience is a safe guide for you to follow. To the degree to which you fellowship with the word of God, meditate on the word of God, willing to respond as the spirit guides you based on what you have studied. That is to the degree to which you can trust your conscience to guide you. And every believer should maintain a clean conscience all the time. It is so very key. We must not ignore or neglect our conscience. Amen? You know, there's a song that we used to sing, he that is down needs no fear, no fall. He's <laughs> in our ancient and modern. But what it means, oh, well, I'm not, able, I'm not measuring him. I don't need to fear. I'm already, I've already fallen. There's no point. No. You have to rise up. There is hope for you if you are in Christ. You know, when you begin to fellowship with the word of God and keep that clean conscience, it is so healthy and it is so freeing. And in any case, you also become a good witness for Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells in your spirit. So the spirit of a man is a candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. So your conscience is the voice of your spirit. As a believer, I mean. So clear conscience is a very key thing when it comes to having boldness to receive from God by faith. So you just cannot ignore your conscience. Otherwise, you're going to make a shipwreck of your faith. Romans 2.16 says, and on that day, when, as my gospel proclaims, God would judge the secrets, all the hidden thoughts and concealed sins of men through Christ Jesus. 
You don't want to stand before him and there will be certain things in your heart that are concealed, that are not cleared up. So that clean conscience is so very, very important. If your conscience condemns you, turn around. That means repent, make amends. The Bible said in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You've already been forgiven 2,000 years ago, but you appropriate that for yourself the moment you fell. You take it for yourself. Amen? And, uh, you know, if there's any sin, you, are, you, you, you receive that forgiveness and then, like he said in uh, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24, he said, uh, how much more shall the blood of Jesus, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You plead the blood of Jesus over your mind, your thoughts, your emotions, your conscience, you know. And once you do that, believe that you've been forgiven because God is faithful. He said he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The Bible made us to understand in 1 John 3, say if your conscience condemns you, say God is greater than your heart, and he knows all things. God understands if this is a sleep, you didn't plan. No believer plans to sin, but it just happened. And that one hurts you, because you don't, you've hurt the one that you love. You want to make amends. And God also knows that Jesus already paid fully for whatever sin, past, present, and future. So it is important that you share with God openly your struggles. Let him know. Make amends, you know. Tell him how it is, and he will help you. So God knows when you're genuine and when you're not genuine. You're genuine. He say, beloved, in that First John 3, verse 21, he say, beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. Then you just go ahead and ask him, it's usually when you fail that you find something here, scratching you here. That means you're still alive. So you ask God, you go, you go ahead and make amends. But it's important for us to grow to the point when we are not struggling with our conscience all the time. Even ordinary people on the street say that clear conscience fears no accusation. Paul wrote in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, he says, therefore, Let's read it together. Therefore, I always exercise and discipline myself, mortifying my body, deadening my carnal affections, bodily appetites, and worldly desires, endeavoring in all respects to have a clear, unshaken, blameless conscience, void of offense towards God and towards men. This is Paul writing, and you know how deeply that man loves God. This should be our pursuit too, to have that kind of conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. That didn't mean that Paul was uh, perfect, but anytime he missed it, he would just quickly repent, you know, and then he, he will continue. So, and that goes for you and I. You just quickly make amends. That is, you know, revelation of the forgiveness that we have is what really motivates us to live this uh, Christian life to the glory of God. It makes right living possible. And it's all about growing in grace. It's all about growing in grace. And that's why even Paul encouraged his son Timothy. He said, uh, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I remember the 
in 2009 when God brought this gospel of grace into this church and my beloved husband began to hammer on it. This was the, our text. But be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And uh, Peter encouraged believers in 2 Timothy 3 verse 18. He said, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must desire to grow. And this growth only comes through the word of God. It is the grace of God that produces true holiness, not the one that is pretended. So the more you grow in the grace, the more you are washed again and again by the water of the word of grace, the word of grace. That's why Paul said in uh, Acts chapter 20, 32, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you your inheritance among those who are sanctified. So, and again, as you're growing, you find out that the more you are sanctified, your sanctification or holiness on the inside manifests on the outside. And the more you are better able to run a, a red flag and say, Daddy, I missed it here. I'm so sorry. And if people correct you, you're more easily ready to take it because you just want to live for God. You just want to honor him with every aspect of your life. So... When you experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, you find out that, you know, the pleasures of this life, of this sinful world, will fade in the light of uh, the, the glory of his grace. I thank God for that song we keep saying, keep your eyes upon Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Whether in the word form or in the song form in your life, keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, Titus chapter 2, 15 to 12 to 15 says this. Let's read it from verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation. Do I have it? Okay. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly laws, we should live how? Soberly, righteously, and godly. In the present age, soberly. We should study what that word means, soberly. To live, don't just live anyhow. You know, the one that he was in, you know, don't just live anyhow. Have a purpose for your life every day. Let your life line up with the will of God for your life every day. Verse 13 says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. What he did to redeem us from every lawless deed. Why will he redeem you from that? And then you go, went ahead and you go back into it. It doesn't work. And then verse 15 says, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with how all authority. Let no one despise you. Because this is true. So, in view of all his mercies, Paul was pleading with us. Romans 12, 1. Let's read it together. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you, in view of all the mercies of God, to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, 
presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Make a decisive dedication. It's you that will do that. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. What I watch. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Because what you see, what you hear, what you read, it affects here. So, 1 John 2 verse 6, let's read that also together. Whoever says he lives in Christ, that is, whoever says he has accepted him as God and Savior, ought as a moral obligation to walk and conduct himself just as he walked and conducted himself. This is the infallible word of God. I say, that's why a lot of Christians are not having you success. You don't just live anyhow. You are called to a higher ground. It's no longer your life. The Bible said in Colossians 3.3 3, that you died. If you died, then who is alive? Is it Jesus or yourself again? Paul said, it is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. He said, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Colossians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 said, let the love of Christ compel you. Let it constrain you, not just to live anyhow, but to live the life of Christ, the life that he purchased for you, his own life. And 15 says, let's read it together. He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life, have you received his new life? Amen. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. If every morning you wake up, you just do what you like, you watch what you like, you go where you want to go, you just do your own thing. Who is the Lord over your life? Is it him or yourself? You have died. Always remind yourself, you have died. He died for everyone so that those who live his new life will no longer live for themselves. What are they supposed to do? Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. We are called to live for him. We are his workmanship. Love is a greater motivation when it comes to living this godly life. You can imagine a child, every time you're telling you, you must do this, you, you child, this is it. That child will begin to hate you. You know, and like one thing I read over the newspaper, a child, a teacher would say, my friend, sit down. And the child sat down and said, well, I'm sitting, but I'm standing. What was he saying? In his heart, he was standing. Which means it wasn't coming from him. He was only just simply Obeying. But God wants that his love to compel us to live for him so that we are genuinely living for him. So that's why the more you grow in the revelation of how deeply you're loved by God, the more, you know, like Paul, you know, you count so many other things rubbish like he did that you might win him. 
Paul said by the Spirit of God in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, and I want us to read it together. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. Verse, oh, okay. Um, I, wanna, I, want to, I want us to start from verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, from verse 26. He said, therefore, he's talking about the atlas. He said, therefore, I do not run without a definite goal. I do not frail around like one beating the air, just shadow boxing. But like a boxer, I do what? I strictly discipline my body and make it my slave. So that after I have preached the gospel to others, I myself will not somehow be disqualified as some feed for service. You see what that is saying? It's only you, by the help of the Spirit of God, that will buffet your body, put your body under. I'm talking about, I'm not, I'm not talking about this flesh. Your mind, your will, and your emotion say, no, I'm not doing this today. This is what I'm going to do. You line yourself up with the word of God. To put to death is to deny the flesh. Deny your mind, will, and emotion. There was one thing that my beloved husband sent to us about Benny Hinn. And as I was listening to that, this man said that God spoke to him and said, shut off television, shut off, um, uh, is it Netflix? And whatever, all those things. He said, he's not been watching that so that he could sow that time into studying the word of God. And he said from his mouth, that his life took a new turn in his walk with God. You have to deny the flesh. That's what it means to put to death your members. And he began to list out those your members. He talked about fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And verse 6 says, that's um, Colossians 3, 5 and 6. Verse 6 says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Why are you still grouping yourself in that group of disobedience? The wrath of God comes upon them. God loves you. He wants an excellent life for you. And he gave you an excellent life. And he said, I will live this life through you. Like Paul said, why go and eat from the garbage? Third John 1 verse 11 says, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. The one who practices good, exhibiting godly character, moral courage, and personal integrity is of God. The one who practices or permits or tolerates evil has not seen God. He has no personal experience with him and does not know him at all. So you don't just say, oh, God lost me, and you just live anyhow. It says it here. The one who practices good, exhibiting godly character, moral courage, and personal integrity is of God. This is your craving, your desire, every day in, day out. And you find your, if you find yourself not going that route, you want to cry out to God, Daddy, help me. You want to go to the word of God. You want to do what you can to straighten up to live for him. And he told us who to imitate in Ephesians 5, 1 to 8. He said, therefore, 
be imitators of God as their children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling server. He said, look, can you imagine if Jesus had gone halfway and stopped? I wonder what would have been our life today. He said in verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. And yes, some saints will sit down and allow these kinds of things to entertain them. And they call it movies. He said, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. He said, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coerced jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, no covetous man, who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God? This is the word of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Put on your new life, created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And as you keep on beholding Jesus through the word of God, the Bible said you will be transformed from one level of glory to another level of glory. That's what he said to us in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 8. And if for any reason you sin, they say, little children, know that we have an advocate with the Father. You can always go to him, according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But know that you go out and you are just living like somebody who was not saved. It is not right. We must understand that there's always a war between the flesh and the spirit. But the only way to win it is by walking in the spirit. And as you walk in the light, as he is in the light, for Jesus is the light, you have fellowship with him. And the Bible said the blood of Jesus goes and washes you. He washes you. Amen? So God desires that we should go in the right direction. We must understand that this new covenant of grace is not dependent on your works. It's only dependent on one statement, and that is, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless days. I will remember no more, according to that Hebrew 8.12. So let what Jesus did for us compel us to live for him. And uh, I will read this final scripture, please. Uh, Titus chapter 3, 3 to 8 says, For we too once we are foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various sinful desires and pleasures. We too, we are once spending and wasting our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the goodness and kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared in human form as the man, Jesus Christ, he saved us. Not because of any works of righteousness that we have done, but because of his own compassion and mercy. 
by the cleansing of the new birth, spiritual transformation, regeneration, and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that we will be justified, met free of the guilt of sin by his compassionate, undeserved grace, and that we will be acknowledged as acceptable to him and met heads of eternal life, actually experiencing it according to our hope. And then verse 8. This is, let's read it together. This is a faithful and trustworthy saying. And concerning these things, I want you to speak with great confidence so that those who have believed God, that is, those who have trusted in, relied on, and accepted Christ Jesus as Savior, will be careful to participate in doing good and honorable things. These things are excellent in themselves and profitable for the people. Amen. Shall we all rise? I don't know what God has said to you. You are the home of God. You belong to him. Everything you have is his. Believe what the word said about you and choose to live for the one who did all these things for you. I want you to begin to talk to him. Begin to talk to him. Base your faith on the word of God. He said, my covenant will I not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my mouth. He has magnified his word above his name. He loves you. And he wants you to keep yourself pure. See, those that have this hope in them purify themselves even as he's pure. Begin to talk to him. If you are really genuine, he will help you. He's there to help you. He will help 